Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so grateful for this opportunity, again, to be able to worship you, but now also to be able to open your word. And so, Lord, we, we pray that your word, which you have given to teach us, to correct us, to rebuke us, to build us up in righteousness, to equip us for every good work. Lord, we pray that your word would have its desired effect in our hearts. Lord, we're here as people that need all these things. We're here as people that need to be taught. Lord, I need to be taught and corrected in so many areas. And there's no better place than here, God. So I pray that you would soften our hearts. That you'd stir in us all the hungers and affections that you desire and the convictions that are necessary. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to think for a moment of your favorite celebrity. Just think, think about this person, whatever face comes to mind. Maybe it's an actor or actress. Maybe it's a musician, whether that would be Taylor Swift or Kathy Taylor. The wonderful, skilled, melodious Kathy Taylor. Maybe it's an author or a, a sports person. Whoever it is, I want you to think about that person. Think about their talents. Think about what it is that sets them apart, that makes them special. Think about the part of their personality that their public relations team is very careful to, to fabricate just for you. Think about their, their birthday, their hometown, the most skilled thing you've ever seen them do, all these things that you know about them that if they weren't a celebrity would maybe make you a stalker. But you're not a stalker, they're a celebrity, and you know all kinds of things about them. Now think about, maybe you have paid good money to see them live bought their products that they endorse or put together or compose. And when's the last time that celebrity called you to thank you for that? You know this person's birth weight and they don't even know your name. They don't know what you look like. They couldn't pick you out in a crowd. They don't have posters of you on their walls. And sure, they thank their fans. But could they ever, when shown a picture of you, go, oh, I'm pretty sure I've seen that person somewhere. Celebrities love their fans for a variety of reasons to be Maybe a little harsh. They love it because of the support given to them, that their fans afford for them the lifestyle they have, that their fans express 
affection to them. They validate them in what they've done in their life's work. But the celebrity, no matter how well-intended they may be, is never able to know their fans. They're never, never able to know personally the people around them. I mean, granted, let's admit it, your celebrity fandom, whoever you're a fanatic for, they, let's be honest, they do want to know you specifically, but they just can't. And so what's more is that while you may strive to know more about this person than anyone else, despite all your devotion, there's no chance of a relationship. Now, I just want to put forward that the gospel is the absolute opposite of celebrity culture. Whoever the celebrity is, they love their fans because of what their fans have given them. They know that their life is a pipe dream, and without people liking them, being willing to show up to see them, to buy their product, they could never do what it is that they do. But the gospel is completely opposite. While celebrity culture begs you to follow, give likes, pay money, and participate with no hope of relationship, the gospel tells us that the holy God, creator of heaven and earth, sent his son to have relationship with people who did not start off by praising him, people who did not have posters of his likeness, which would really be against the Ten Commandments, but just follow the metaphor. Instead, it's to people who are openly hostile towards him, rebellious against him. And the gospel says, I'm going to go to these people. God's saying, I'm going to go to these people. I'm going to give them the, my absolute most precious thing in all creation. That is my only begotten son to suffer and die for them so that they may know me and that I may know them. This is the God of heaven. He knows more about you than you know about your favorite celebrity. He knows your days. He knows your thoughts. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows your needs. He knows what you're made of. He knows your insecurities, your motives, and more. He knows all of that about you. And knowing you exhaustively, he sent his son to die on the cross for the things that you wish he didn't know about you. He takes you, who've done nothing for him, and shows you the greatest love imaginable. Not so you can fan out over the God of heaven, but so that you can know him. I think that's wild. I think that's crazy that God would save us not just to have a bigger choir in heaven, whatever that looks like, but so that we may know him and be known by him. Here's how we know that God saved us in order to not only know us, but also that we would know him. There's, there's two images that God the Father and God the Son are, give themselves. The first is Jesus is our shepherd. Remember in John 10 what he says? I know my sheep by name. 
They, they know me. They know my voice. They recognize it. The second image is that of Father. One, one Old Testament illustration we have of this is that he writes our names on his hands. This is the, this is the BC version of when you talk to someone like, oh, tell me about your kids. Well, since you asked, here's like 5,000 pictures of them. And secondly, because he gave us a spirit of adoption that we would call him Abba Father. This message is about experiencing God's love so that we may know him deeply. It's about knowing God, so you're going to get a little bit of a dose of J.I. Packer this morning, and you're just going to have to be okay with that. J.I. Packer says, you sum up the whole New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. He goes on to say, for everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. God saved you be your father for you to know him god lovingly brings us into relationship with him so that we may know him as we experience the love of god that he gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins it brings us into adoption it changes us immediately and so this morning we're going to look at three passages throughout scripture know about knowing the lord and I hope it helps you connect experiencing God's love with knowing him deeply. The first one is in Jeremiah 9. Knowing God is the greatest thing about you. I want you to know that. Jeremiah 9. We're going to be at the very end of Jeremiah 9. The page up there is the, the page in the Pew Bible, if that's what you're using. Let's start in verse 23. Thus says the Lord... Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I, I delight, declares the Lord. Jeremiah's ministry was at just this horrific time to be alive as God's people. Judah was getting closed in on. Babylon was going to come. By the time Jeremiah was done with his ministry, Babylon will have taken over and taken everyone into exile. A bunch of people will have run and fled to Egypt hoping to find peace there, even though God told them not to do so. So he's writing about the certain destruction of Judah and Jerusalem. He was really popular with his friends. That's a joke. This is a terrifying message to hear. Nobody wanted to hear Jeremiah. But, it, but that didn't change the truth of what he's saying. So in the midst of this, of all these horrible things to come, he goes, look, you guys are in over your head. And you all think you can handle it. 
And some of you are saying, ah, but I'm wiser than you, Jeremiah. I know what's really going on. See, I have this secret news channel that gives me an unfiltered view of the world today. And through that, I know what's really going on, and I'm smarter than my circumstance, and I will come out on top. And there were other people that said, yeah, Jeremiah, if I had the the piddly spaghetti arms of you, I would be afraid too. But I don't have piddly spaghetti arms. I'm a well-trained, well-conditioned fighting machine who has in my basement an arsenal inside of gun lockers that would rival that of Camp Dodge. And I will withstand Babylon all on my own, me and my, my army of friends. We've been training for this. We are mightier than the circumstance. And then there's another group that would say, Jeremiah, yeah, you might be afraid, but have you seen my house? You can't even fathom my bank accounts. I could sell one car and pay off a dozen officials. I have so much money. And here's what Jeremiah is saying. He's saying, what's coming and what you're up against as a person, you can't outsmart, you can't outmuscle, and you can't buy off. It's foolish to boast in any of those things. The only thing you should be boasting in is that you know God. And this is God's message to the people. And Look, our circumstances are very different today than what Jeremiah and Jerusalem were facing while he was preaching. But the truth remains. You are not smarter than your need. You are not stronger than your need. You are not richer than your need. Your need is to know the Lord. That's your need. That's your greatest need, that you would know the Lord. Not just that you would know him, that you would understand him. Let him who boasts, that that the only thing you're going to be proud about is that you know and understand me, that I am the Lord. I am Adonai, the great Lord, the Lord of all, the master of all creation. Let that be your boast. That when people are like, where did all this come from? What's the point? That you could be like Buddy the Elf and go, I know him. I know him. I understand the God of heaven. And there's, there's three attributes here. He practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things, I delight, declares the Lord. You think about what they're facing. Their, their whole country is getting turned over because they've abandoned the Lord and they've gone after idols and they've gone after themselves and they've they've gone after the other nations. And God says, look, I'm the God who practices steadfast love. I am the God who is more faithful than you. I am the God who, despite everything you see around you, has a redemptive plan that you can't fathom and would blow your mind if you could. I'm the God of justice. And that as you guys have been oppressing the poor, as you've been trampling the fatherless and the widow, that I'm, I'm going to get their vengeance for them. You thought you could get away with it because they're weak and they don't have a voice. Well, I'm the God of heaven who loves justice and delights in it. 
and we'll bring it to all the earth. And as you've been going out after all these other gods, I am the God of righteousness. And as you've been trying to live however you want, I am the God of righteousness. And that if you want to walk in steadfast love, if you want to walk in justice, if you want to walk in righteousness, all of that is found in knowing the Lord. When we are, when we know the Lord, we are able to appropriately and accurately apply Him in all His character and nature and fullness to that which we are experiencing. He is the God of heaven who created all things. And Jeremiah is telling these people, and the Lord is telling the people through Jeremiah, you are not enough. Your riches are not enough. Your strength is not enough. Your mind is not enough. And the most significant thing that could ever be true about you is that you know and understand the God of heaven. This is very much a case of not, it's not what you know, but who you know. And in the face of any circumstances, especially when there are times of uncertainty, that our boast is not in our ability to ride out the storm. It's not like, well, you don't know just how many five-gallon buckets of emergency food I have stashed away in my secret bunker. It's not any of that. Our boast in whatever's happening as the nations rage, I know the Lord of heaven. And that's our greatest security. It's the greatest thing about anyone in here is that you would know God. Packer says, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Secondly, we, we go from knowing that God is, knowing God is the greatest thing about you to knowing God is the greatest thing you can do. Let's skip all the way ahead to Philippians 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So Philippians 3. Paul, in his letter to the Philippian church, in this section of it, is building on the thought of boasting specifically about the best way of, of those who boast about the best way to achieve their own righteousness. It's interesting that this problem did not take long to start in the church and has not ended in the church of people saying, well, yeah, that might be good enough for you, but if you really want to be a good Christian, follow my 12-step plan to righteousness that looks like me and not like the God of heaven. Well, that issue was going on. Paul calls the people doing this, he calls them, he says, look out for the dogs, for the evildoers, for those who mutilate the flesh. Really makes you wonder what Paul really felt about them. And Paul, he could have said, here's what they teach, just stay away from them, don't talk to them, don't let them in your house. He could have said that. But Paul, the master of words, the great apostle does something different. Because this is who Paul used to be. And so what Paul does 
is he goes, look, these guys are boasting in the flesh. They're saying, look how great and holy I am. You want to play that game? I'll play that game. And so Paul pulls out his man-made righteousness resume, and it's the best. It's the best resume. Verse 4, he goes, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also if anyone else thinks reason, uh, he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he, he goes off, circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's like, you want to play? And here was the issue. The issue was, there were a bunch of people who had for a long time in their life been trying to walk with God according to the first covenant. Jesus died on the cross, issued and began a new covenant that you could anyone could be saved by grace and their salvation was found in the blood of Christ, not in their adherence to the law. And they, they liked it, they got saved, but then they're like, well, you should have to do everything I had to do. You, being Christian, is, is coming to Jesus and living Jewish is what they were teaching. Paul's correcting this over and over and over again through the churches. He goes, look, you want to see who's most righteous of Jewish people? I am. I'm the most Jewish, Jewish man there ever has been. I know I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. I knew and kept the law better than anyone else. I even persecuted the church. I was so into my Judaism. And then what Paul does is, I want you to imagine, if you will, Two bowls right in front of me, and they're both full of money, just overflowing with money. There's just paper around the outside of them because someone, it was, it was a serving of money in these is until it starts rolling off, and it's just all paper. But they're two different currencies. And one currency is worth a lot. And so, We'll say it's U.S. currency. And so the biggest number you see on any bills is 100. And the other currency is more colorful. And it has numbers like 10,000 and 20,000 on it. You're like, ooh, those are big numbers. I'm not an accountant, but I know what zeros mean. And what we're tempted to do is to run to that bowl full of bills I'd say 10,000, 20,000. We're like, ooh, look at all this money. And we take it to the bank. We're so proud of our big, big bowl of colorful paper with big numbers on it. And we take it to the bank. And they utter the words that no one in this situation wants to hear. Rate of exchange. And you find out your big bowl of money that you thought was worth a lot is worth nothing. And here's what Paul says in Philippians. He goes on, he, so he, he lays out, he has all this money built up in the colorful big number bills. And he says, but whatever I had, whatever gain I had, whatever I had in this big bowl of money with colorful bills with $10,000 and $20,000 bills, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. You imagine that, that colorful money bowl being wiped off the table. I've suffered the loss of all of this. <coughs> Excuse me. And I count them as rubbish. Actually, Paul's original word there was much more harsh. And Paul's saying, he goes, look, there's two bowls of money, and there's, the, there's all this works, all this flesh stuff, and then there's knowing Christ. And the knowing Christ bills, they might not at first be as colorful and as flashy, and the numbers on them might look smaller, but I'm telling you, they're worth infinitely more than this big heaping bowl of rainbow-colored bills with tens and twenty thousands on it. In fact, here's what he's saying. I've achieved all that my worldview had set for me. I jumped through every hoop. I did it all better than anyone else. And then I learned about Jesus. And I got to know Jesus. And compared to knowing Jesus, all these other things are utter excrement. It's worse than rubbish. It's worse than garbage. It's excrement. The knowledge that Paul is describing is not knowing about the Lord. It is not knowing trivial knowledge of God. It is not some sort of static book knowledge that you fill out a test or do great in a weird Sunday school version of trivial pursuit. But it is knowing God himself. Let me tell you about when I first learned about electricity. What you don't know, what a few of you know, is that for my early years of education, I was homeschooled. And you're going to hear part of why it was only for the early years. We learned about electricity. I'm going to keep this brief. We learned about electricity. We learned about some safety stuff. We learned that lights go on, that electricity goes. And I decided in my homeschool inquisitive nature, I want to know more. I'm going to do an experiment. I wonder what happens when static electricity and a plug meet. So here's what I did. I'm pretty proud of this. I wasn't very old. I found a bobby pin. You know, those little copper things. At the time, I had a lot of hair. Gave it one of these. Real, real good. Just worked it around. Made it a little wider. At 6301 Charles Street in Omaha, Nebraska, you walk in the front door, you're in the dining room. You go around to a hallway, there's a bedroom, a bedroom, and a bathroom. I went to the bedroom, right by the bathroom, that was my bedroom, and right inside, you turn left, right inside the door, there's an outlet. The top part of that outlet is hot. I know that. Because I took that bobby pin. thought, I wonder what's going to happen. I did not anticipate <laughs> properly what would happen. It was 4th of July. <laughs> Just sparks. It hurt. It was loud. Scared me. Pulled my hand back. I didn't realize really yet that I had been burned. And so my sister and I were doing homeschool up in the living room. And I keep running to the bathroom and running cold water on my hand. 
She's like, what happened? I'm like, you can't tell mom. <laughs> you can't. For the best first words of anything to what happened. And when my mom saw the bobby pin outline on my finger, she realized I'd probably been punished enough. Look, there's a lot of you that would walk up to that outlet and go, I know there's electricity in there. I know. I know there's electricity in that. Here's what Paul's saying. I was doing the law and I knew God was a holy God. And then I had my sins forgiven by Christ. Now I know that God is not only holy, He is, I know the steadfast love of God because I did horrible things to the church and Christ appeared before me and instead of killing me, He forgave me. And that knowledge is better than anything else you can get on your own. That knowledge is the most significant thing. It is the greatest thing you can do. So how do you grow in this knowledge? You start taking the Lord at His promises. And I think where that starts is repentance and forgiveness. God, forgive me for these wrong things. And you start asking God for opportunities to walk with him. God, I don't know how to do this. Can you help? Can you put someone in my life to help me walk with you? God, I don't know what to do. Can you help me as I read your word to know how to grow in this? God, can you supply me with these things? When you seek the Lord in faith, you repent and you trust. And you obviously, you go to his word. Read the Bible on your own. There, there's apps with dozens of reading plans, but what I would like to offer for you to do is join one of the simple Bible studies here. The women's class just started on Colossians last week. They're in 210 on Wednesday nights at 6.30. I was talking to Vicki. There were about a dozen women there uh, last week. There, she knows of a few more that are going to join. There's always room for more. They would love to have you. And it's simply, we're going to open the Bible, we're going to read, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to see what God has to say and what God's going to do in our hearts. There's a men's study that's just wrapping up and a new one that's starting on Wednesday night, same time, in 2.14, so just a little past 2.10. And they're going to be starting the Gospel of Mark on Wednesday the 31st. This is great. You're going to read the Bible and you're going to be in community with others reading the Bible. And walking with other believers is one of the great ways we have to get to know God. What does the Bible call the believers? The body of Christ. Do you think maybe being involved with the body of Christ is a good way to know Christ? A good way to grow in your knowledge of Christ and God the Father? So don't stop meeting with Christians. Find ways to increase that. God designed you to be part of the body, not to be self-existent. That's his job. His job is to be self-existent. Your job is to be part of the body. Second, lastly, just allow time in this. So, many, so often we just want to read and grow and have it be immediate and fast. Allow time for God to work 
and be amazed at what he does. Finally, and this is going to have to be unfortunately brief, but it's knowing God leads us to the greatest fullness and fruitfulness. Look at 2 Peter, and we have a little bit of time to get through a lot. And so what I want you to do is I want you to listen for knowledge of God, listen for knowing God, and then we're going to talk about a few things. I'm going to start reading in verse 3 of 2 Peter 1. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted us His precious and very great promises, that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, your virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Obviously a lot more than we're going to have time for in this, but I want you to see that knowing God leads us to greatest, the greatest fullness and fruitfulness. His divine power has granted to us a handful of things. No, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is not simply a philosophy. We are not called to think a certain way, to have a specific paradigm or some sort of formula to have all these things that pertain to life and godliness. We are called to come to God himself. What a great offer. What a great invitation. If we would be called to know God himself, And it's not enough that simply we would know him. But he's granted us his very precious promises. That these promises all have a yes in Christ for us. This gives us hope leaning forward. It gives us hope that when we confess our sin, we'll be forgiven. It gives us hope that when there's something deeply wrong that's been done to us, that God will be just in that and that we can give that to him. It gives us hope that when we have a struggle that we can't find our way out of, that he sends his helper. He sends us a helper, the Holy Spirit. It gives us hope that one day all things will be made new. And it gives us confidence and today, that this isn't how it's always going to be. Because we have been granted his precious and very great promises. And we've been granted to be partakers of the divine nature. 
A divine nature that transforms us and make us, makes us new. A divine nature that leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. A divine nature that brings us into a larger body. That gives us belonging. That makes us co-heirs with Christ. Where we are treated like family, like children of God. And so he gives off these lists of supplements. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And when we possess these and are increasing, they will keep us from being ineffective and unfruitful. They will keep in front of us constantly what the Lord has done for us, who it is He's called us to be. So let us diligently pursue these things, knowing God through experience in His love and letting Him work these out in us so that we avoid the warning that we would be nearsighted and blind, forgetting that we've been cleansed from sin. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, gives, gives this illustration. Knowing God is crucially important for living our lives. Listen to this. As it would be cruel to an Amazonian tribesman to fly him to London, put him down without explanation in Trafalgar Square and leave him as one who knew nothing of English or England to fend for himself. So we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way, you can waste your life and lose your soul. We would never drop off someone in a station like that and expect them to do any good. So how do we ourselves continually try to put ourselves in that position? If I can do this on my own, I'm strong enough, I'm smart enough, I'm rich enough, I can get through this. And we can't. This is my Father's world, right? Let us know Him. God wants to know us. He gave His Son to know us. And we know Him through experiencing His love shown on the cross and guaranteed in the resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, You are so good to call us not only to a salvation, but to actual knowledge of You. We praise You, Lord, that You would do that. We pray, God, that You would help us as we continue to move forward. Help us to, to know You. Help us to take advantage of all the resources You've given us 
Whether that's the Holy Spirit, your word, each other. Lord, thank you that while you are so transcendent and above us and great and glorious, you are also very personal as a father who makes us his children and knows us by name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and thank you for these things. Amen.